Thank you all for checking out this week's episode. Once again, I'm John. If you liked what you heard and saw today, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our brand new merch store with hats, coffee mugs, t-shirts, other cool stuff coming down the pipeline. Again, thank you all for support. Be safe and see you next week. How's it going, everyone? John here, the host of Spirit Talk. And today I get to uh, have on uh, Tate Fletcher. Tate is one of those guests when I started the podcast uh, in 2020 when the pandemic started. I wanted to have on the show. And uh, for those that aren't familiar with Tate, uh, actor, stuntman, professional fighter, martial artist, uh, businessman, entrepreneur. Um, Tate, it's great to have you on here today. Good to be here, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, so one of these things, I think with people I want to kind of jump into, and it's going to obviously lead into the coffee band company, uh, the, the company with Keith Jardine and Lacey, uh, the idea of this pirate life, this, this brand, this type of way of living, um, that I think when people first think of pirates, I think of these kind of bungles and crazies that just live the high sea, live life, whatever. But the, when you just kind of describe the pirate life for you, like what point of your life do you realize that maybe the pirate life is what could benefit all of us? I guess since I was little and I saw adults pretending to have answers for mysteries that they couldn't solve. And I thought, oh, nobody is sure of what's going on, right? And even though some are very certain. And uh, maybe it was like, I don't know, you, you know, you live through a bit and you see a lot of the cycles of things and how things, how power controls and, and twists and course and, and, and molds kind of society. And, um, and when I really started seeing a lot of, overreach it's like when i went to brazil i went and fought in the worlds in brazil around i don't know early 2000s or 2000 maybe and then i went to italy afterwards and i just thought fuck when i was going up the train in italy i go there's no billboard there's no pollution of visual pollution like the way we have and, and i this idea about how we're just being pushed into sales all the time as consumers it was just starkly obvious right and and then I, you start looking into it and you go oh France has different Pop-Tarts than America because Kellogg's can't put the same poison because France won't let them feed their people that, but America sells corporations, their people as fodder, right? We're, we're now in a position where the government is just a shadow of the corporations that own the country and, and, and own us. And I mean, when you're forced to do business with countries as a sovereign person and you must do business or you'll lose your job, or, I mean, these are that's bananas, you know? Right. And so the idea of pirate life was back then. I mean, I'd never been a real fan of pharmaceutical companies. I was, a, you know, um, had a real colorful history. And, and, and as a kid, they wanted to put me on drugs and shit. And I went on uh, Zola for a while and had horrible reactions to that. And then they said, well, if that doesn't work, we'll put you on this. And I go, you're just throwing this stuff at the wall. You call this science? Like, and they're like, well, you have, um, deficiencies in in levels in your and but there's been no I, i've been here there's no test for that and so what are we talking about we're talking about guesswork with my mind and i was appalled and i and and then i got locked up and i didn't have those pills and then things got really weird and i thought i never want to be in a position like that again you have to own your life fully tate i used to smoke cigarettes all the time and and that like feeling like a slave to that and so all these ways that i'd enslave myself and position myself to be in a weaker position than I ought to be, I wanted to eradicate from my life. And in that way, where I see corporations coming in and edging into our privacy in a huge way, even way back then, I mean, the first time Facebook came out, I go, everybody's telling on themselves that they're not home. Like, I know a lot of people that still rob houses and they're eager to hear that information. Like, yeah. and I just thought this is bananas, you know? And, um, and everybody was like, no, it's cool. And, and here we are, right? Uh, but that whole idea about pirate your life back, I was like, our lives have been stolen from us. Our consciousness is, I mean, when we watch television, the idea that it's programming, it's programming the software of us, right? And, and if you're not aware of that, then you're really caught in the matrix, right? Because you're in the hypnotized state where you don't even understand that you're under. Um, and and so it seems, I, I, yeah. And like the, the, the actual personal responsibility, though, like you took it upon yourself to change your lifestyle, whether it's fitness, eating healthy. Right. So when it comes to the personal responsibility of all of us, for those that they, they for those people that want to make the change or want to, hey, maybe what Tate's saying about the pirate life, maybe that's for me. For those people that don't have the motivation to do that, like what's the first couple of steps they could take? Because uh, for you, and I, I want to talk about this, I've seen you 
physically transform yourself through the pandemic, whether it's the working out, the ice, the ice bath therapy and stuff. And for those people that want to make that change, they, they don't know if they can or what's the first step they have to take. I, you know, people are, shame is a real interesting word, right? Because it's a thing that you ought to be rid of, but it's also a motivating factor that's helped me a lot in my life. I mean, there's ways I've behaved that shame would be the appropriate reaction to have for that unless you're a psychopath, right? And those things can be motivating. And, and also noticing that opportunity strikes all of us. We're in this river and opportunity is always coming by. Some of us are aware of that. Some of us are oblivious. Some of us are aware and we try, but we're not ready. And that doesn't feel good. And after you do that and you rot in that loss and you see that that could have been, you don't ever want to miss your shot again. So you're like, I've, I got to stay prepared, right? I can't be in a position where I'm going to get ready and decide to tie my boots up. You're fucking better be ready to run. And so in that way, I started to look at my life differently. And then I started to go just simple shit. I go, okay, I'm going to cut out sugar. And I mean, this is, you know, 15 years ago, but cut out sugar and wheat and, and just start to look at like things that are debilitating to me. What would real nourishment be like during the pandemic? The change that has happened for me is in 2019, I had a severe brain injury um, on a film and uh, I, and I'd had a concussive life before that. So I'd never really uh, had any recovery. You just kind of go on from that. When you hit your head a lot, the, it's, you know, the filter of your consciousness through which you perceive the world is skewed, but that's the way you perceive the world. So you're not aware it's skewed, right? And so right. this darkening can happen and eventually a lot of us end up in suicide. Um, so anyway, I, I hurt myself again. And like my mom said, I'm so glad that you did because you finally started to look into this darkness that was overtaking you. And that's the real truth. And so as that happened, I couldn't leave the house for a while. I was real light sensitive, sound sensitive. And um, I just was, you know, in sobbing and drooling on the floor every day for a couple of years. And, uh, and all you could do is, you know, try to eat, you throw up all the time. I mean, the whole thing was, it was a thing, you know? And when I was able to start moving again, neurogenic tremors stopped. I, I just stopped stuttering. Um, and I was able to go outside and, and go and walk all the way to the driveway and back. And, and it was like little things, man. I'd go, I was able to get in a hyperbaric chamber every day. Um, and then I would go and that would be it. I'd be wiped out. So when I was able to start working out and moving again, man, I, uh, the consistency that I hadn't had in a while was really redoubled. And I, I, I just, I started really living in a deep appreciation, appreciation for the injury, appreciation for the ability to heal beyond which I thought I could, um, a, a real transformation and a transcendence of my previous thinking. And, and, uh, and so then I, you know, and I thought, you know, because you think I'm done, this is it. Right. I'm, gonna, I'm not, I, I don't exist even tomorrow, maybe. Um, and that thing about redoubling your efforts, if we're gonna be here, right? And we are gonna die and it's all upon us. And we ought to make the best of that, right? And we ought to dig in as much as we can. And I, I'm, I'm real glad that my mind's in a place where I have the ambition even to, de to, to do that. And, and it's deep and it's deepening. And, um, and that's new. And that's, you know, I, I really want to get into uh, podcasting more about it too and start my Pirate Life podcast back up just because at first I didn't know how to speak about the injury, about how to speak about recovery from TBI because I'm doing experimental things and I'm doing things that, I don't want to tell somebody else what to do. And then maybe they hurt themselves. Now I feel like I'm centered enough in a way where, um, where it's a language that unless you've been hurt like that, you really can't understand it. And everybody kind of degrades it and says, no, because everybody wants empathy and they want, but for those people that have been hurt that have gotten through it, I think there's a responsibility to reach back and, um, and to let people know that there there's ways out that don't end in a bullet. And for those that, that do follow your social media, which I highly recommend it. It's very, it's inspiring mm. because you are so open about your transformation, whether it's the videos. And one of the things I love and to kind of go back to like the, the, the ice bath stuff. Yeah. I've, I, I've, I grew up in New England and in the wintertime, I'm always in shorts and t-shirt. I love the cold. And when I'm having like a bad day, especially in college and even now, if it's the cold weather out, I love the feeling of being barefoot in the snow or the stuff. And I started after I went down like a Wim Hof rabbit hole and then seeing Joe Rogan yeah. talk about it. And then with you, as I started to so do it, it's like, I don't, it's tough to explain to people about the, the, the positive effects of taking a five minute cold shower. Oh. And it's so when you start doing that stuff, like to kind of, 
talk to me about like what it feels like because i've never done the ice bath stuff i've always seen the ads for it. i want to do it i obviously want to see you guys do it right. but the effects that has on your mind body and soul like everyone's just like oh it's just a cold shock well that cold shock is what's going to kickstart sure. your life in your mind and your body and soul here's the thing is that like your mind is at odds with you right everybody right. has that voice or several voices and they get aware and they go oh that's my six-year-old or that's you know, what, what you're in reaction of and all that. And, and so most people don't have a lot of control or organization in their minds and they don't know who's running the show. They never step back and go, who is behaving like that? Right. Right. It's like, there's different right. parts of the self. And so I think like working out really hard, really expending energy, uh, doing high consequential things where it focuses your mind to that's the only thing that you can focus. Cause otherwise you're unconscious or whatever. I think they're really important to do because there's nothing that hones your mind in that way and and all those things have consequences ice baths have only benefits a lot of people liken it to uh cryotherapy they're like, oh i do cryotherapy or whatever they go into the steamy cold thing it, that it's like comparing badminton to baseball or something it's just great you have this superficial kind of oh okay did it flush your skin that's fantastic you get into like 35 <laughs> degree ice or 40 40 i mean you know 45 or less in there somewhere and you say, I'm going to sit here for three minutes. And that's highly uncomfortable inside the first 30 seconds. And you have to breathe. And you have to fucking get cool. You have to demand of yourself to be better than you would like to be in that moment. And you have to do that for the next two and a half minutes now. And that focalizes the mind in such a way it strengthens people. People are stronger in every way that ice bath and people that shrink from discomfort. It's just how it is. And the people that dig into it, the other benefits are whether it's, uh, you know, helping your skin and tightening all that, but this deep flushing of the blood into the deepest recesses of your tissue and then the rush back and to do a couple cycles of that, there's nothing really that I feel is cleansed about. And as far as my mind, when that, when that rabbit is running around in my head to get in the ice, it disconnects you from that emotional self from, cause all we're doing is the task. And if you can become task oriented, you can get the emotions that are maybe blocking the way of your own benefit out of the way for a little bit. And you can re-grab the reins of your mind. To me, it's like that. It's like the mental and physical and the physical aspects are endless. I mean, as far as the benefits right. that easily found, but for me, it's like this mental exercise has been dope. And then also the other part of it is with brain injury, why I got into it a lot is because the uh, inflammation is such a problem in the body. And that's also why my diet's important to me because I mean, I've got, you know, a, a warrior's used body and my joints are yeah. all, all the things. And so any space that gets taken up from that, I ate. Right. And so if I can buy myself some space with having just a little bit less inflammation, I'm in a world of uh, benefit. And so I try to stay there. And that also is for the brain injury. Right. It's like right. the more I can keep uh, global inflammation down, the better all my body energies are moving and, and the more I can heal myself. When I first came across uh, Caveman Coffee, it was the marketing, the color scheme, the symbol, the logo that sold me. And after the first couple of times, I realized I've been drinking, and I don't want to knock other companies like Monster or these other companies that put right. out these, these cold brew type of nitro coffees, but it's like the Caveman Coffee, it tastes clean. And it, it, you never have bad headaches. It's a natural rush I get from it. And so, like, for you, when you, Keith and Lacey, launched this, with the paleo aspect of mind when it comes to your health and body and everything, and obviously you, Keith and Lacey, are all hyperactive and what you guys right. do and did, the is it tough to – how do you market a company like that? I mean, obviously, word of mouth helps, and obviously the people behind the brand – if they're believable, which you guys all are, then it helps. But how do you get out there? How do you compete with a company, an X company that's like, oh, and we're the best job of life? Dollars. Right, right. right. It's like they have Super Bowls, they're doing festivals. And it's like, yeah, it's tough. Why isn't I mean, Caveman out there in other stores? Uh, I think, I think, you know, our, our thing is we wanted to have a high standard that pirate your life back, all that. There's all these brands that are out there that, you know, are full of cancer right? You have all these carcinogens. And so people don't have a standard. And then a lot of those companies that, you, you know, jump on it, but they'll sell you anything. They're just yes. like all these other corporate, they'll sell you in it. And I won't like, and so yeah, there's, and there's limitations in that in the market, the marketplace wants you to 
to sell poison to people because it's the easiest. That's what's it's this is what is the cheapest in the environment to give you. So that I can make you a can that I can get for 10 cents and I can sell you for four dollars. Yeah. Well, I, I can't make this for four cents, right? It's gonna cost it's gonna cost a lot more money to make that with where you get it from, with how you treat it, with all the things. And so that kind of became the difference for us is like what's your standard of uh, purity. Of, of the things so we, you know, we do our coffee, we have a hibiscus tea. Um, we we're one of the first to markets with that back in the day, like when Stumptown had first come out and yeah. they went to sale. And uh, yeah, and, and that's kind of the idea of it when we came out with it was like, we just want to be able to be something you can trust that is what it is. Cause the whole thing, like I said, the whole thing with sugars with, with all the things, man, it's just like, God damn, they can't wait to give you a pill for what they're having the food people make you sick with. And just to not see these cycle is crazy. And nobody sees it because you got to drink a thousand of them or 10,000 of them before you end up with a cancer that they've never seen before. But that's coming, right? Yep. I mean, it happened to a lady that helped raise me. She was hooked on tab colas forever. And that says right on it has carcin. I mean, it's like cigarettes. It's like, it just doesn't matter. People won't do the best thing for them. That's what blows my mind about the people that are like, oh, you can't have grass fed uh, beef because it's not sustainable for everybody it's like do you know what people eat they're, they're stuffing ho-hos in their face right now they don't have they don't care about grass they'll eat whatever meat variant that you give them but then for those of us that want a higher standard we shouldn't have that in america that seems weird seems like you ought to have a choice well it is it is oddly interesting especially with the pandemic i got hypersensitive to the idea of exactly what you're saying like when i broke my collarbone or hand hey take the percocets take the cubid in oh. if it, it keeps hurting take it more why well, don't i i don't i have an addictive personality in the sense of i'm addicted to my passions whether it's podcasting security and i don't want to be addicted to something that's not it's just masking the actual pain it's not helping me yep. and i went down this whole thing where it's like well, if i want to lose weight like why is this diet better than this diet or why is this company marketing this diet because they think this company it's just Everyone's in a battle, but if you go back to the actual pirate, like what were the cavemen doing? Like they were, they were living on organic stuff of the earth, meat, plants, no weird stuff in there. And it's just, it's just so frustrating because people that do, I think there are a lot of people that want to stay healthy and be healthy, but like you said, they get hooked and tricked into these ads or these mass oh. marketing campaigns because people are technically lazy and don't want to do the research. It's convenient. You know, they, I mean, the convenience you can't argue with. It's like, if people still have McDonald's and the mall and air conditioning, they're like, I don't care if we have social or I don't, you know, or whatever. Right. They're like, let the Chinese come as long as I, it seems comfortable still. And people are kind of like that, you know? And so knowing that that was the common thing, it's easy to go. I'd like to be uncommon. Right. I'd like to walk a different path than that. And I think there's a gang of people that would, they just don't advertise that on mainstream media. I think there's, you know, groups like yours and like, I mean, there's, there's, this is the, there's a proliferation of thoughtful minded yeah. people that are out there, but nobody wants you to see that, right? It's like, that, and that's not popular. We want, like to sell emotions. So if you're not emotion filled and just exacerbating the problem, then you're not necessary because we want chaos. This is, to me, it seems like a social destabilization of, of our culture. It's just like when we went in an Arab spring or whatever yep. through the mid East and we go, we want to destabilize the mid East so they don't get a power hold. Nobody says that we say we're hunting terrorists or whatever. We make up the story <laughs> to be right. But uh, it's the same thing. And now I think, I don't know if it's, I don't know who's doing it, but it totally feels like we're attacked. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like there's something else that's beyond that. And, uh, and there's no, you know, when you, I, all I say is this, if you're picking a side for anywhere and you got, team a and team b and they go okay pick a leader pick a leader and you both pick guys that probably wear depends and are 80 years old right and those are your strong guys that you're you're both on the same team you're the same it's the same who's here right. is the question right and and if you're waving a flag anywhere you just look silly i mean that's ridiculous because <laughs> that's that's played out now when it comes to your background and i know you're a black belt bjj uh, the competitive fighting and everything. When it came time to retirement from that sport, the idea. And so a lot of times you see fighters come out of retirement, or athletes like, oh, I'm gonna re I'm retire. I'm gonna be Mike Tyson or Tom Brady. And these people that can't suppress their competitive spirit. Were you able to control that kind of uh, the fighting spirit? I guess that warrior code into parlay it into 
Cave Bear Coffee, your art acting stuntman. Is that how you're able to kind of suppress that in a way where you can kind of control this and put it towards other endeavors as you move along? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, that's a, yeah. somebody asked me that the other day, and that's a it's a bear to walk away from, you know. But it's one of those things. I think it's like it's like not drinking or something like that. It's um, if somebody's an alcoholic, they're going to quit one yeah. way or another, right? Either either they're going to have some kind of epiphany that has a change of course, or the drink will choose, and that's a lot uglier. It's the same way with fighting. You can be proactive about your exit. Or the fighting can demand that you exit, and that's a lot of damage, right? And so I think everybody knows that that's the deal, at least halfway into their career. They're like, you know, because you have friends. I mean, and you're watching everybody in these different arcs walk the road of whatever their trajectory is at their age or their career. And so to walk away from it, um, you know, going right into the film business was great in that way because it was something to chase and to learn to try to get better at those particular skills which are real different than what i'd been in but the same disciplines right and that was the same thing with starting the coffee company and just with keith and Lacey, it just seemed natural as people i loved that you know we'd uh, known each other keith and i had been training partners for 10 years or something at that point and uh, and it was just something we were all into and we kind of drove after that as uh as a hobby kind of is what it be you know started as and then we just kind of moved with it but i think i ignored it for a while because i didn't go in a room for two years until a friend of mine was like oh i want to go some watch some of the guys train it was a dude on a movie i said okay we went down there and, but i never even thought fighting was violent at all my whole life i right. i is and my mom would be like isn't that you're trying to smash that guy's face with your knee and i go yeah but i'm not really trying to hurt him i'm trying to exact the technique to and it wasn't like that really for me, right? And then I'm sitting there two years after I was out and I'm, I'm watching and I leave practice and I'm driving back to Santa Fe and I was like, that is violent. And you know, but you know, but when you're in, it's just what it is, you know, it's just, you're walking through that part of your life. And, um, and it's beautiful, but it's one of those things, you know, I see all these men, uh, I see, we, we're, we're all subject to that, right? Of, I want to be sticky of where I was, where I felt I was strongest or where I felt, or whatever the thing, or where I was most in love or whatever. Right. But those are eras. And we've all got these eras in our humanity of this short life we have. And to hang on to yesterday's era is only going to rot where we're at right now, right? And so that whole thing about being able to let go and be present, especially after something like having a career that you have to put away and go, who are you now? Without this, without the, who, who do you think I am? Or like, and there becomes all that. And so you've got to settle all that and you've got to be clear with who you are all the time. So I think also I'd say deep introspection, you know, you have to really be in the listening and, and not just be in the asking, but being just follow, you know, that couple of years that I was just on the couch and I'm just following my breath because that's what I'm reduced to. Right. And it was such a gift. It was so helpful because I didn't know I never had any idea what would happen if there was space there, right? And so without the space, there's nothing that can come in, right? If I'm just filling it with noise. And so it taught me to be slower in that way too and, and to be where I am right now because um, there's no other spot, right? Has it been fascinating? Uh, as the, Obviously, I remember watching the first UFC and I mean, anything goes, but yeah. as the years have gone by with injuries and you kind of mentioned like some people that suffer from CTE or concussions and all this stuff. Well, Everybody. And it's crazy that now, like at what point were you kind of like, Hey, this is cool at UFC and strike force, whoever these other companies are bare knuckle boxing. Uh, they're starting to recognize that, Hey, these men and women that do this for a living, like there, there are health issues here. And we have, what can we do to protect the fighters? And especially when you retire, I mean, you hear of like all these NFL players back in the day that have died of you know, suicide or like Juju Sale type stuff. I read about another one. And Every it's day. it's so disheartening because at what point do people in these high up positions making these rules and regulations realize that these people that are lining your coffers with money, there's health risks. And I think it's 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 just weird that people aren't recognizing that or didn't recognize it soon enough. Listen, that's a sport with adults. Fair. Pit bulls like to fight each other right it's what it is there's guys that i'm glad myself included that i had an outlet like that where i could discipline myself because the most skilled guys in the world are the least violent guys in the world right, right? they're not reactive they're not emotive they're, it's until yeah. they're deep into brain damage probably different different thing 
We put every little child we say we love into football suits and put them out <laughs> and we watch them bang each other and they're dizzy and they spin and everybody does what? They don't go, oh, fuck. Yep. They giggle. Yeah. And then that kid kills himself at 15 and they don't correlate the two. We're giving brain damage to people at such a rate here and we don't ever think about it. So those things that are like long end, like you're a pro football player, you're, you're adults at least at that point, we're subjecting children to these right. things that we don't have any idea of the downstream effects because they didn't affect us personally or something or because money was so involved that football, I don't think even acknowledged brain injury as part of the sport until 2015 maybe. Uh, they don't even like to say it because it affects money. It's the same as everything. So if people's health can be hurt, uh, instead of their money being hurt, they'll always choose to crush people. It doesn't matter how beneficent you think the organization is. That's not how they're run. They're run by their accounting. And, and that's just the, that's just what it is. Again, pirate your life back, be, be warned. What I say to guys is like, go ahead and fortify yourself. Like if you're not, you should be doing like NAD drips. They should make those available to everybody. Everybody should be in hyperbarics at least three, four times a week. You shouldn't spar probably. I mean, if you're a couple, three, four years into the sport, you shouldn't spar maybe more than once a month. You already know you're tough. That's what sparring, hard sparring with new people every round while you're exhausted. That's what that's for. Let's test your metal. If you're if you're a 12 year veteran and you're going to war like that twice a week, man, there's no point in that. Just get your timing together because what you're taking in damage is costing you timing more than you're adding to it by sparring. And then it's just an ego dick contest about, you know, who's doing well in the gym today, which is not anything. It's a gym. It, there's right. no like I won in the gym. You're practicing. It's what you know. And so I think that the bigger question is like us, you know, everybody talks about what they care about, but as soon as it gets away, even of their pastime, I want to take football away from my kid. Okay. Well, we ought to know though, that there's a price to pay for that, you know, and, and the price is that your kid maybe kills himself. The price is, is that maybe he gets so irritable that he can't help, but uh, act out with violence to people. You know, there's, there's, there's untold prices to that, but there's not, not prices. There's nobody right. that doesn't pay a cost. You get it somehow and, and, and you don't know it till down the road. And, that, and then I, you don't know it until you get better. You've got to start healing from it to even notice that you were messed up before, right? Because most people, they're not going to be honest with you about it. I mean, my mom never said anything to me about that until she said, I'm glad you got hurt again. And I go, right. you got to tell me more about that. She goes, well, I've been seeing you darken for the last 10 years. Oh. And I go, I felt that. I felt like more despondent and darker and, and I said, I felt like a cloud was coming behind me, that, like doom. And I was glad I got hurt too. And right. then, and so then they, I think people ought to be doing that stuff preventatively. I think they ought to, uh, there's a place called braintreatmentcenter.com. They literally saved my life. They shoot magnets into your head. They do an EEG. They test your brain waves. And when you hit your head, your brain waves can start operating antagonistically to each other. And this synchronizes them again so that you can think clearly instead of in that confused state. And that's real beneficial. I'd like to go back again for that. But you can't go to the doctor and get any of that. None of what I said. Right. I went to the doctor after I'm hurt. It's a big, it's a big show from the biggest company in the world. And um, the doctor says, take fish oil. You got a stage three concussion and take fish oil. And if you don't feel better in eight months, come back and we'll give you Alzheimer's medicine. And I said, you're, you're telling me to kill myself. I go, are you not interested in hyperbarics or stem cells? Or blah, 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 blah? And she goes, that's not what we do. And so I'm here, but even as a healer, you're not curious. Correct. Like, and, and they're not, I mean, they're, they're business or they're there because they're business oriented and that's a different thing. And so, and then insurance doesn't get it because the FDA that you've got to pay it, whatever the thing, you know, they're not approved. And so blah, 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 blah. But um, so then people die because they don't get good information about how to help their brains in this very new subject. Like we're just talking about it just now. I mean, which is phenomenal and, and great, but it's also like, it's a little embarrassing, right? It's like, imagine if we'd ever been looking into this since the seventies. The reason I got into the hyperbarics was because of uh, Joe Namath. And so yeah. um, my girlfriend looked into when I got hurt and I went back 
uh, to LA from Boston, she got me in these hyperbarics because she read about Joe Namath protocol. And Joe Namath got told at 50, you've got early onset Alzheimer's. And he goes, I can't accept that. That's crazy. And so he started looking into it. He goes, well, maybe if I could get pressurized to push blood and, and, and stuff into the deep recesses of my mind, maybe that can. And it did. He went in 40 sessions in a you know, 60 day period or something like that and felt profoundly better and had different markers on his tests. And, and so that's where it started with, but it's just guys, it's fuck, man. It, it's such a new thing. It's all just guys trying to save their own lives. Yeah. And so the more that we can speak on that, I mean, because like the companies that I say that are doing like the brain treatments and they can't say that they help people like that. I mean, I watched turnarounds of autism at that place that were bananas, these little kids that were crazy. They go in and they get the treatment and they're like, they're learning to count Spanish and English together, hand in hand with mom. They're not hitting or crazy, you know, which they were a half hour early. It's crazy. It's but crazy how train. people like the doctors and these corporations are scared of actually healing people. Cause if you heal someone, they've lost income now from that person. That Hippocratic oath is all yes. gone. I mean, yes. people now, if they started talking about anything about even let's look into actual side effects of, of vaccines or something, right. they lose their license. So now you, you, you have a oath that you took to do no harm and all that. And now you won't even be able to be a doctor if your belief is that I'm doing no harm by giving this information. I mean, it's, it's bananas. It's bananas. Uh, my dad had a brain aneurysm. And so one of the things they would always do, cause they get doctors, some of the basic doctors that deal with that stuff. But when it came to, he always said, like you said, there's almost like this dark energy or something when he was recovering from that. And we, they brought in, we went, my mother reached out to like a Reiki specialist and all this stuff where it's like, he would be like, what is this witch stuff? Typical father <laughs> thing. What's this voodoo priest thing? And yeah. the, the person would come in since it wasn't covered by insurance. It basically goes, well, that's how we're viewed, but let's do a couple of sessions. And he said the, the pressure points and what they, the, what they would do and all this stuff. It's like, he felt this cloud leave him. And it was something, a relief off his head and shoulders that he wasn't getting from the medication or yeah. the stuff they were prescribing. It just, it is sad that people, again, those people, that, whether it's acupuncture, all these other things you talked about that are covered by healthcare, the, the FDA, they could all of a sudden, let's, let's approve vaccines to cure anything, but let's not do something that's been proven. Not, not something that's thousands of years proven. Right. right. Not that. That, right. that we're going to, we're going to, we're going to put a whole kind of programming out right. that that's hippie shit, you yes. know, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's a trip. One of the, well, and uh, that's what I thought too, going back to that, you were talking about drugs yeah. and I've had four surgeries, I don't know, in the last 20 years. Right. And, and I've been clean for some, you know, for 28 years. And so I go into surgery and I'm like, Hey, listen, I don't want to take any drugs when I'm out. Right. And they go, well, we put morphine in the joint to loosen I go, I don't want to do that. They go, well, you'll be out. You won't feel it. I'm like, I don't want the reason. I know what it feels like in my body. I don't want it in my, and so I would go without it and I would get a, the pills they would give me just in case, but I take, I take some, uh, but I thought about it and I would go through it and I go, it doesn't take pain away. It distracts me. And so that muddies my mind and I don't want to be fucking muddied. I don't want to be overtaken by these goddamn pills. And I go, what about ice? And that's when I first got into ice packs. I go, oh, I'll numb this out. What's better than that? And, and then I was like, oh. and I, so I, all those surgeries, I mean, thank God I never needed drugs for them. Brings me to when I just, cause now I'm old. So I've got a colonoscopy. Good luck, everybody. It's coming. And, uh, and I go in there and I go, what, well, so what do we need to do? And they go, we're going to put an IV in you. I go, what's an IV? And they go, we're going to give you uh, fentanyl and Versed. And Versed is like a thing that puts you in like a dreamlike state, but you're not completely under. So you can drive home later. And fentanyl is heroin times 10, <laughs> yes. right? And I go, why do, what are you going to do to my butthole that I need to be on heroin? Like, and they go, well, it's just a procedure. We just do the can. I go, I don't want an IV. I'm on the natch then. I, they go, well, it's uncomfortable. I go, I've been uncomfortable. There's no way I'm going to be as uncomfortable as I've been in my own life here today. Correct. And so I go and I do it. And it's like, I mean, it's like you slip through the toilet paper. You, it's like, whatever. And then it's just nothing. And you're watching a camera in your intestine. And then I think about it and I go, so this, the protocol is to give my mom or whomever else that's never tasted how good that feels. Yep. You're going to give them that yep. for a thing they don't need it for. And this is legal. And you've got the audacity to put signs up by the school that say you'll have a more severe consequence for selling drugs here while you do this to everybody as protocol because Pfizer's got so much fucking money that they can just pay doctors yep. to 
So that's, you know, under those kinds of things, I go, yeah, pirate your life back, man. Yeah. Watch where your life is stolen from you. Don't take their answers. If you grew up when I grew up and they go, hey, you need seven to 12 servings of bread a day. That's what the mulligan stew and the food pyramid and all that is built on grains because of futures on the stock market that were selling corn and wheat back then. That was why they pushed the FDA. So I've been knowing that the government's been poisoning us for money for since I'm in fourth grade. Right. And underneath those structures of America, the freest place in the world or whatever, I go, okay, how can I be more free by being aware? Because this is a sucker's game out here for the sheep that are just following along going, oh yeah, this is all good. And we just follow along with whatever the ideology is of the strong guy that is saying the things on my side of the fence. I mean, it's crazy. So from there I go, yeah, then I'm a pirate man. I'm a, see y'all later. Have a good time. Uh, well, speaking of looking like a pirate, the first time I came across you, I mean, from 2014 to 2016, John Wick, Equalizer, Sicario, you had that very distinct uh, mustache. Yeah. And I was yeah. kind of like, yeah, I brought in Breaking Bad, I think. Was yes, with Lester that. Breaking Bad. Yeah. And I'm just like, this guy is so interesting. And then obviously, I started doing research. I'm like, obviously, with your background in competitive fighting and mixed martial arts and all that, how the transition into stunt work and acting, whether you're going against a Denzel Washington or a, The Rock and Jumanji or Arnold or John right. and Keanu, like how Megan being, Fox. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh I choke I choke slam Megan Fox and Jonah yes. Hill. And yes. that was one of the scariest things I ever did because she didn't <laughs> want to use her stunt double. And and then she says, and it's like it's like pick up rays and on the deck of a boat. And I was like, I'm gonna never work again. She's gonna and then she when she's on the ground, she goes, Be careful with me. I'm fragile like a baby bird. I was like, This is not none of this is helping, but it all worked great. But yeah, anyways, all that stuff. How's yeah, it's like it's public, like especially when you go against the rock or when you coordinate these fight scenes with Dead Zell and stuff. It's like with your background, obviously the stunt man, the stunt coordinator, the director has a vision. Is there ever a time where you're kind of like, well, hold on, this is how it should be done, sure. versus uh, I'm gonna write the scene, this is what you're gonna do, and it's not believable, coming from your mindset. Never, because I see guys that are seals that are active. You know, they've, they've been in 12 years, all yeah, the deployments, yeah. they train top buds after all, all, and they're like tech advisors, right? Yep. And you see it all the time <laughs> where they're just like, because, I mean, it'll be an ingressive building and yeah. it's like, okay, there's 12 soldiers coming in. Okay. You're, you're here, you're staggered here. You're, I mean, you're all grouped up to where you're dead because you're never entering a building that way if you're, you're but for cameras it look, and so there's all this suspension of disbelief for all of that um stuff with chokes and things like that i'll be particular on where i'll tell the but i'll say it off to the side like because you're making somebody wrong and so you have to be very politically delicate in those positions because the caste system is such that everybody's got the most sensitive feelings and even if they don't have efficacy at their job they're pretending so hard that they do that you know you it's just or or an actor will be like well no what i do in krav maga or something and you're like all right and you know and they're like well that would work right you could just rip his trachea and then i'm looking at like the court i'm like what do you need me to say here because because <laughs> we're talking about fantasy versus you know right. and, and and they want fan i mean listen if you put out a movie that was as real as politics really really is like house oh. of cards Right, oh. like House of Cards is wild. Yes, wild rape, murder, espionage, all the things. Yep, not as crazy as real life. No, not even close. And so, if you think about it like that, you go, if we put real life out there, it's so unbelievable how humans are that humans wouldn't believe it. They'd be like, "This has got to be fake." The real thing looks fake, is is the thing. And so you kind of, you know, and all the action in that is like, you know, very particular for cameras and for. There's a lot of. I mean, there's so much excellence in that business that even people that are horrible at movement, they can capture it because they know how to edit well. Or, I mean, like right. all the guys at 8711 are such masters of yeah. the craft. Like anybody that's wearing that stamp, they've got such a broad skill set for directing, for editing. And that's the thing. If you can't direct or edit, right? If you can't edit it, it's harder to direct because you don't even know what shots you need until you know how to piece it together to tell the story. And that's a way different skill set than most folks are enjoying. But these guys are masterful stuntmen, trickers, uh, uh, 
a lot of gymnasts, some of the most beautiful movement specialists in the world, men and women, and with this deep skill set also of filmmaking. And we're seeing that more and more. So I think films are getting better and better, especially in action variety films. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I try to put my input in very delicately, I guess. Right. But when it comes, you play a, a bad guy or the main henchman so well. It's like when it comes to portraying a good guy or a bad guy, is it easier to wrap your head around that person if it's a bad guy versus a good guy? Like, how do you, like, if you were, say you were uh, McCall's best friend in Equalizer, would right. you have portrayed, visually you look the same, I would assume, but would you portray your actions, your movements differently if you were a good guy versus a bad guy? Of course. I mean, my friend Johnny, uh, play, he's the real heavy set guy yes. that played Denzel's buddy. And he's a comic up at the comedy store. Really, really good dude. Um, but I thought he was excellent. He killed that role in that way. Yes. And, and I think also it's like, it's so fun. Like I, I get to read for these other roles, whether it's like, you know, the bumbling sheriff or the, uh, you know, the farmer or what, whatever it is. But that it's, I already look like I look, right? It's like, be, like to, to sell that as intimidating or whatever. Yes. It's like, it's nice to do different things, man. Um, and to get, you know, to work on films like that. Like I got to work on, uh, Keith, Keith actually wrote a movie, right? Called El Paso that we have in yep. film festivals right now. And to be able to play in that with friends and, and, and in a role that you wouldn't normally play because, you know, Hollywood a lot of times isn't real creative and they're like, this fits this and this, used, this worked for that. And so this is our formula, all that. Um, it's really great to be in the actual creation, which is the only place you really have agency. It's just like your podcast in this way, right? It's like, yep. we're not garnered by anybody saying, speak about this, don't say Correct. that, use this language, you know? And so that's freedom in that way. And so to make films like that, to think, hey, we could actually create commerce and entertainment like this by ourselves, for, for us, and it's made from us. And, and that expression is a whole nother kind of uh, beauty to me, because there's a there's a real bravery in that. Like this came out of me, out of my mind. I, I want it to be all, and, and here it is for everybody to see and to pick apart and decide, you know, and you got to change the way you feel about things to put yourself out there like that. So that's been a really cool experience. Yeah. To, to, to kind of touch upon that, it is interesting, like Cowboy Cerrone and Gita, uh, when they just did that movie for the Daily Wire, after everything yeah. that happened with Disney, we, we won't get to that, but like they're able to, uh, it's so cool. It's called Prairie. Fire on the Prairie or Fire on the Prairie, yes. And even Isaiah Washington, the actor, just released a movie, Course Cada, I believe, about Bass Reeves. But mm. he was always told, he wrote the story where it's like, I can't do that. You got to do it this way. You got to bark it this way. He says, I want to tell a story how it's supposed to be told based on this incredible African American's life. And yeah. he finally took it in his hands, put it out there, released it. And hearing him talk about the happiness when it comes to doing the art you want to do without anyone telling you, Hey, I paid you X amount of dollars. You got to market it this way. It goes it's the having the full control over that. There's just such empowerment to that. Yeah. I mean, I, and I didn't really understand that. I was on a movie called the last stand and there was this uh, Korean director and yeah, he, I'm pretty sure he spoke English, but he pretended not to because he didn't want to interact with the producers. And so there was this thing and we're up on a building. Uh, Darren Prescott was a uh, second unit director and, and, uh, so he's doing all the action stuff. And I run off the building at one point, jump onto a bus. And so he comes off the building with me on a wire with a camera beside me. And I go, you know, we should shoot this from the street and me jump it. And he goes, yeah, but the director doesn't want to see that. I go, yeah, but while we're here with the crane and everything, don't you think we should? He goes, we totally should, but he won't do it because he doesn't have final say on editing. The company does Lionsgate or whatever does. Yeah. And so he'll only give them pieces that he wants right he won't film anything he doesn't want so it gets political like that even before as the show's going on which is a trip i was like i was like god damn so nobody works together in this business like yeah it's a trip you know i mean it's where art meets money yes right? it, it, and, and i totally get, I, I totally get this the how sympathetic it is together and i, I totally understand it. so you actually end up joining the most insane, rabid fan base. I mean, you've, you've obviously had been lucky with the Breaking Bad fan base uh, being so receptive for you and that awesome portrayal of Lester and the show. But when it comes to Star Wars, Mandalorian, Book of Boba Fett, like seeing you at the conventions now, like at what point did you realize that once you joined this, like these fans are insane? And I mean that in the most awesome way. Yeah, I mean, I, um, me being a fan, I don't know. I don't know yet. 
is I, I can't say when you're in when you're inside the thing, it's hard to know that what you're doing is remarkable. You know, I used to tour around with fucking Rogan, Eddie, uh, uh, Ari Shafir, yep. and Joey Diaz. And, and then Brian Redband had come and, and Eddie had come a lot. And we would go all around the country for years. We did, right? And touring all these shows, UFCs, it was great. I never thought, like, I never realized how exceptional, like, that's crazy. Yes. I never looked at, you know, and so it's until you're in the rearview mirror that you're like, whoa, did we just go through that? And so there's that kind of aspect of it, of being it. There's the other thing about being a fan where it's just like, you know, I mean, people are like, oh, yeah, you're canon in this. And I go, I, like, well, I, you know, I, I don't I don't know what any of that looks like, but it's an awesome thing to be inside of and to be around creators like this. I mean, to be on set with, uh, you know, Bryce Dallas Howard and, and Deborah Chow and, and Filoni and Favreau, uh, these guys collaborate publicly on the set. And so you're getting like, here's this expert's view of it. And he's like, here's how we create more tension in this three seconds of this interaction right here and then deborah's giving her and it's like you're in a master class all day long and 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 that is just that aspect of it then there's the technical aspects where you're on the cutting edge of the metaverse kind of for movies with this uh environment that they create called the volume yep. which is the series of i mean you're inside a video game basically is a way to say it where where if they have a canyon wall and you're in a canyon and the actual studio it's hard to see where the wall and reality and that digital i mean they're married and people have run in i mean so it's very realistic and so to be in in those places the the um the character developments of it the arcs of then all these different stories of the universe the redemption aspects of it the redemption aspects from previous star wars is that yes. some people were pretty let down by to characters that then i mean i think of hayden who was 19 Oh. at the time first advent of social media so it's the first time anybody's getting letters in that amount like because they're digital now yep and so he gets everybody's feelings about that as a kid and then to see this all come back and see this you know i mean there's all these different micro redemption stories layered in on top of that for the whole pack i mean all of it and then the good and evil to have this mythology brought back is the only mythology of our life. I mean, when, whenever you look at all these different religion, and all that, and then you look at Yoda, you're like, I, his shit might be the, that might be the best way. I don't know. <laughs> you know, and, and but but those were for, I don't know, millions of us were like guiding points for our life where, yeah, you could see the, the tension of good and evil and the choices and why this higher road's important, even if it seems hopeless. And fuck, man, we need those things. And so that kind of storytelling. To be a part of that, man, that's... It's, you talk about the redemption, like be a Boba, the book of Boba Fett. You, the last time you saw him, he fell into Sarlacc Pit. He's a bad guy. He's going after all the heroes. But that redemption arc, like now you know why he acted that way in Return of the Jedi and the other movies. Yeah. And it's like to kind of see that character build. And then obviously with you and Paz, like when you first show up on scene, like it was one of those cool things where it's like, I wasn't, I'm with uh, the bass player for Shinedown, Eric Bass. He's huge star wars fan like knows all the lore and we're watching it in europe we're on tour and when you appeared he said oh my god that's past it's just like seeing other people's reactions because he knew because he knew pre-vizsla from yes. the animated series yes yeah, yeah. and so it's like to see people's reactions to these characters come to life the care that Favreau and filoni actually put towards this yeah for you i mean for you when you see pictures that even when I watch those episodes still with you in them it's like you get to play a character that so many people didn't think would ever exist Right. And for these guys to put the time into it, actually put a body inside that armor, it's, it's just got to be so, like, when you first put that on, it's like, when you're taking the pictures and stuff, it's like, holy shit. Like, I, you don't this know is rad. Is. You literally don't know what it is, right? I go out, I get the first part of that show. I read, I go to an audition, just like whatever. And I go to a thousand and maybe three people call me back. I, you know, I just, I go and I look at it as practice. I go in there and I'm in the room. I get to practice my craft. Cool. They call, they say, you got this job. I go, dope. And uh, and I read that whole part and it's in Hatties. It's written in this other language that uh, George Lucas has a linguist that he's employed for 25 years that's written this elfin language that's full conjugations and infinitives. I mean, it's amazing, amazing. And so 
that's how you're going to have to spit it though. And so I'm doing zoom calls with that guy and I'm learning how to pronunciate it. Like it's, it was bananas. Like I'd never had that kind of a, the production have that much care and, you know, cause if you're henchman number two, who gives a shit, but right. this, this is the guy that's going to open the first words in the whole season that opens the whole Disney network online. Right. Yep. There is their premier thing is that, is that 90 seconds of me in the bar and fighting Mando. Yep. And so then when he calls back and they go, Hey, uh, John saw your audition tape. You want to see you play this other character? I thought, fuck, I lost that character. Maybe whatever. I don't care. I'm just here for the party. And so I, I go, they go, go to legacy effects. So I drive out to the Valley and there's all these effects houses and shit and legacy. I walk in and the, the guy from shape of water is there like nine foot. Oh, tall. Shit. Like, yeah. Doug Jones. Yeah. Uh, and you're look, you're looking every, I mean, there's uh stormtroopers coming out. There's call of duty guys that are repelling out of the wall. This is the shop that makes everything, you know, the, the Jurassic feet for all of it. And I was like, wow. And so they go come back into this room and I go back in this room and it's like a dressing room with a mirror, come back in here and uh, take your stuff off with the under armor on. So I go and I put all my stuff, then they lock all my stuff up. So no phone, no, not you're. I mean, you're very isolated and you're, and I don't know what's going on. And they're measuring, they're measuring my writ, they're measuring every part, everything. And I was like, I guess I'm getting a suit made. And then they come in and they had this matte black Boba Fett helmet. And I go, holy fuck, am I Boba Fett right now? Like, cause nobody knew what the show was. Nobody right. had any idea. It's a show about Boba Fett was as close as any of us knew really. It's a bounty hunter show of Star Wars. So, so anyway, uh, they go, yeah, no, it's not that. But, um, and so they build this suit around me for, I go up there four or five times. And then the first time that I wear it is on set in Manhattan beach. And I, and when I walk out to the stages, it's like an unveiling. There's, I don't know, 30 executives from Disney and from everywhere that, and I was like, this is a big deal. Uh, you know, cause when all the money's standing in front of you, <laughs> excited, like, like, Oh shit. And then you're doing all the poses for the toys and all that, you know, you do all the stills for that. And, uh, and then when I walked out though, and I'm just, cause I know me, I'm in this suit. I walk out and I walk onto the stage and I go in and the forge is in that room and we're in this cavern and it's smoky. They've got atmosphere in there and it's just so cool. And, uh, and then in walks Emily Swallow, the armor. Yeah dude in that brown and gold fur yeah. and the helmet and i thought wow they made a hot mandalorian they this is like most feminine strong like and then to hear and be in that and so that was the first time that i played in that suit right and i was just like god damn and and then i had the little back and forth with uh latif yeah um, as mando yeah um yeah it was it was killer and and then to come out and to see what kind of show I was in, that was like kind of in the third episode where we walk out and you're like on the street. It's like you're in the old West. I was like, Oh, I'm in a Western in outer space starring John Wick is kind of what it felt like. I was like, this is going to be dope. And then we have the big gunfight. I fly in and, all yep. that. and I was just like, this is amazing. You know? And then you just, you know, whenever you show up, you're like, I don't know. It could end anywhere. I don't know where it is, but to have this be then. And then I get hurt the next year. And then uh, um, on Free Guy, and I, um, and then I was just out, and then this opportunity came for these comments, and I go, man, I don't know if I want to do that. That seems odd to me. I don't know anything about it, you know. But I take a picture with somebody in the street. Why am I going to charge them forty dollars to take right. it? It seems, you know what I mean? I was like, I don't, I don't know about all this. And uh, and then I went with my friend Sala Baker. Sala played Sauron in Lord of the Rings, and he's a really great dude. And, so he took me and then, you know, cause that's part of the, the thing with a brain injury too, is like the anxiety, like I th always thought anxiety was for bait. I thought it didn't exist. I thought you yeah. were weak or something. I thought, I don't even know what you mean. Um, I know the word, but whatever. And now I've just, I, I got way too familiar and I go, Oh my God, this is. And so even just, I, I needed to get supported. I was really, I had a lot of great people around me and he was one of them. So anyway, that was the first time I went to a comic-con and then I meet the heart of the fans. Oh, and I go, Oh my God. And I'll tell you where I was scared to go in just because of my mental state, I was nourished being there. The kind of love and allowance that everybody has is just like, it was real beautiful, man. It was a really cool part uh, for me. And so I, I thought, man, this is, I, I, all I could do is just go look what God did for me. I'm alive here still. Yeah. And there, and there's, there's, there's people that, cause you're like, I don't know if I'll ever participate in life again is what, you know, goes on. And, 
Yeah, all of it. Well, it's interesting, like how people look at someone, like whether whether it's you or a character you portray, it, it how it impacted their life. Maybe it saved their life. Maybe they were suicidal. And they saw you, or you hear your story, or the man behind this Mandalorian mask, and but it's just it's it's just so crazy. And then I love that when people meet athletes, and people always like don't meet your heroes, and you always hear stories where people are like, oh, that guy was a dick, or he was sure. mean to me, or he was drunk at the bar and ripped up my whatever. But for those fans that when they go to those conventions. I've had a lot of guests on here that do that stuff. And they always say they get, it, it's so touching. It can somewhat be somewhat daunting hearing people's yeah. stories about, Hey, my son was dying or I was suicidal or you got me through a rough patch of my life. And yeah. because you played a character that might've been on the, a TV screen for five minutes, or you were the star of the movie. It's like that impact that split second when they see you, whether it's a song or a scene, it, it's, it's got, it's kind of surreal to me. Yeah. I mean, and to see the kids, the kids get to just go oh. and express their creativity. Every it's just like, it's really it's super sweet, you know. And then the guys that are there, I mean, you know, I, I get to meet Flash Gordon and and Dog oh, the yeah. Bounty Hunter is at this. Hell thing. yeah, yeah. And then you know, and I'm not a Christian or whatever, and but these guys, they you know, we share our stories a little bit, and then they both prey on me right in the middle of these conventions, like separately, like and you know, hands on, and like for a minute and a half, and I was just like. God damn, this is, I mean, and that's the nature of it, right? And, and the nature of us is to, is to heal each other, I think. You know, that's the thing that I think all of us feel our greatest good at is when we can connect and we go, fuck, man, I could, I could make that road a little more understandable for that person or give them some hope or whatever it is, man. There's nothing better than those connections. And I think that you just, I life shows you that maybe after some time, maybe it takes some decades, you know? I mean, cause yep. I knew things a lot differently 15 years ago than I know things today, you know, and that'll evolve, you know, those, as those eras change, I guess. Right. Right. Um, before I let you go, is there any other projects you can talk about? We got covered on or like anything, the new coffee Man, flavors just, or. I just got to do a, a, a Ed Harris movie called love lies bleeding him and Kristen Stewart. And oh, that wow. looks like it'll be a crazy hoot. Um, and then I got asked D Snyder from Twisted Sister. He goes, Hey, I got a horror movie. And so I'm, I'm hoping I get to play a part in something like that. But other than that, we're, uh, you know, Keith and Lacey and myself are really looking at just trying to push El Paso and get a feature made. And I think Keith's got a lot of people interested in giving him money right now. So we're just kind of deciding what direction and when we can film it uh, sometime before Christmas. Oh, it's great. So hopefully we can have something out in the next, you know, year. And hopefully you, uh, you start your podcast up again too. I've got to, yeah. I'm just, in, I've got to find a producer and, and all that. I, the thing I hate doing is what you're doing right now, where it's like we got to record and then I'm going to send this off and then I'm going to put on a, da, 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 and I, I just, I want to go spit in the mic and have somebody put all that stuff together. Which is, I'm fortunate to have that person that could just, oh, well, you're, with, yeah, you've got a whole band with you, for God's sakes. So, you got a I, support team. Yeah. So I'm able to kind of do that. But again, thank you so much for this. It's, uh, you're one of my favorite go-to people I wanted to have on the show to actually record an episode with you. It was amazing. So well, it was really good I, to be uh, here with you, man. Thanks. And yeah, I wish you all well. if you're interested, this is uh, the brand yeah. we're talking about, Caveman Coffee. And um, yeah. And I think uh, I've actually ordered some stuff off Amazon too, like pallets of your coffee. Oh, yeah, too, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was another thing. Getting through COVID, I mean, our lender went out of business and then everything goes back to my credit cards and then Amazon loses I don't know, $80,000 of, you know, like loses it because, yep. and they're like, you got to give us a lot of pallets right now because every, the way ordering is, and we only have so many employees. And so you flood it like that, spend all to, and then I don't know, everything comes back over the next five years. It seems like we're still getting stuff back. It's like, here's some expired, here's another pallet of expired. It's like, Jesus Christ, man. So you know, it's been all, all of that, you know, the, uh, the pivots that you have to make in life, but it's just pivots, you know, and I look at that stuff too. And I go, fucking thank God for the struggle. Cause it's given me the legs that'll carry me tomorrow. You know, I mean, yep. and that, that's really the only way to look at it. You know, it's, it's not, it's there for us to get stronger. It's not there to beat us down. Right. Yeah, no, I agree. Well, uh, thank you for this Tate and, uh, we'll do it again soon. Thank you, sir. Thanks brother. Appreciate it. Oh, hello. I'm just enjoying this nice fucking candle. Anyways, I'm John, the host of Spirit Talk, and I want to talk to you about Nice Fucking Candles. We are lucky to have Nice Fucking Candles as a sponsor of the podcast, and if you use code SPIRITALK15, you get 15% off your first order, or use the affiliate link below to always get your candle needs through Nice Fucking Candles. Nice Fucking Candles, 
our 100% soy wax. We have a 65 hour burn time, maybe more if you uh, nurse the flame a little bit. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not an expert on flames uh, or candles, but I will say these things burn a long fucking time. You ask me about the wick, it's a double wick for even burning, which is amazing. And uh, they come in three incredible flavors. Uh, I'm not sure if you're gonna be eating these candles, but if you do like them, the scents are eucalyptus and ginseng, tobacco and fireside, and seaside and driftwood. Once again, uh, nice fucking candles. They are the candle company for Spear Talk. And if you love candles and need a good scent to clear out your office, your room, your podcast room, your weight room, uh, your whatever you're doing in a room that smells like crap, use this candle. It's amazing. Thank you. Check them out. Love nice fucking candles. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.